Welcome to the dark forest. Jackie and her pals will never bore us. Shameless confessions about our obsession will make us laugh and smile. So let's explore the dark forest and dark out for a this is Jackie Cation, your host of The Dork Forest. You know the websites, JackieCation.com, DorkForest.com, TheDorkForest.com. If you like a determiner, FamilyPetAncestry.com brings you to JackieCation.com. It's good times, you guys. Anyway, uh, let's do the credits. Mike Rickberg's composed and sang that song you just heard. He sings with his wife, Sarah. He will sing again at the end of the program, The Mexican Hat Dance. Uh, Vilmos fixes JackieCation.com. And Patrick Brady's going to fix this audio. So... That's uh, credit where credit is due. JackieCation.com has many things, as does DorkForest.com, but JackieCation has the merch page. So if you were to want a CD or a DVD or a T-shirt, you got to go to the store page on JackieCation.com. There's Ranger T-shirts and CDs and DVDs. My new CD will come out the first week of March digitally, and then the end of March, hard copies. So hope you are looking forward to that. Um there is an Amazon banner and an Amazon link on both Dork Forest and Jackie Cation. And all that is, is it's a portal into Amazon. You order like normal and then the Dork Forest gets a kickback. So if you want to give to the show and um, you order from Amazon, that's one simple way to do it. You don't get charged extra. You just use the portal, the Amazon link uh, on, on Jackie Cation or the dorkforest.com and you just order like normal. Other than that, there is a donation button. If you enjoy the program and want to donate, feel free. Knock yourselves out. There's a PayPal button. You can donate uh, monthly. If you like, 10 bucks a month makes a super fan because it's 10 months and then two months when I ask you to donate to a food bank. Or you can donate all at once or you don't have to donate. Don't worry about it. Just tell people about the show. And other than that, my calendar is on JackieCation.com where you can see where I'm doing stand-up comedy. I am doing stand-up comedy in Los Angeles this week. So this is a good episode. Let's get into it. Hey, it's Jackie Cation. I'm in my living room with, uh, you know what? I didn't get to meet you, John Updike, when I was in, I was in Portland doing a benefit for your, um, open primaries, right. uh, which is a grassroots, uh, political group that wants there to be open primaries. Right. Hence the name. John Optic, welcome to the program. It's so great to be here. I've been a longtime fan. Yes. Oh, well, thank you very much. And, and I know you through Graham Elwood yes. from Comedy Film Nerds. Yes. And you know Graham Elwood from his childhood, I Yes, understand. we grew up together in Evanston, <laughs> Illinois. Evanston. We were, that's where my great, my great aunt lived in Evanston. It's a great town. We grew up there together, high school classmates. We actually stayed connected throughout college. When I was a, a freshman in, in college at the University of Michigan, I hitchhiked. With a, with another friend from yeah. Ann Arbor to Tucson, Arizona, where Graham went to school. It took us four days Graham to get there. Graham went to school in Tucson, Arizona? Yeah. He I went to the University of Arizona. That. Yeah. Did not know that. It's a pretty good school. Ann Arbor's a good school. Ann Arbor's a great school. Yep. Arizona's a good school. Okay. Madison. So there you go. And you grew up in Milwaukee. I grew I up outside that. of Milwaukee. Sure. Right. Right it's down a, the shore or up the shore or like Michigan. Around the bend of right. the shore. Sure. <laughs> a lot of shore with the Great Lakes. A lot of shore. Lakes. Great Lakes, Michigan. A lot of kind of I go there every summer. I go to the Michigan side, the western coast of Lake like Michigan. Like Traverse City or? Uh, just below that. About nice. an hour below it. Manistee, Michigan. Very have pretty. A summer cottage Very there. beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, John Updike, uh, so... What I love, I've always wanted to have a watch dork on, and you collect antique watches. Yes. Have you always collected? Like no, you- no. It's it's kind of a. a, a growing you, up, I never 10, had a watch. Years, you never. Had a I watch. never had a watch. I found them very irritating. I found them, and I grew up in the you know the late seventies, eighties. The digital right. watch, the Se- that was like a right. whole thing. Swatch. Right. People wanted you to get a swatch. I right. remember or a in the Seiko 80s. or a Casio or things right. like that, and they had the. The calculator features. It was like a whole thing. It was thing. very digital and very... Very digital. Yeah. And I, I found watches, bracelets, anything, necklaces, like, eh, I didn't want to wear them. They, I always found... I, I would fidget with them. Okay. So and, you were like binding? Yeah. Binding, okay. fidgeting. I, I It was like... uh And so I would never wear them. Mm-hmm. But when I was, I don't know, 30, mm-hmm. um, my girlfriend found... An antique ninth, it's, and I knew it was from 1940 because it was engraved on the back. It said, okay. to blah, 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 on your retirement, top hat hotel, 1940. Wow. And it was a solid gold longine and she got a fixed up for me. 
and it's a, it's a mechanical watch. And I started wearing it after not wearing a watch my whole life. And right. I just loved it. Well, cause it was probably beautiful and mesmerizing. It's gorgeous. <laughs> it's slightly <laughs> Is curved. Is it solid gold? Solid rose gold. And I, I actually, she had had it. She had found it many years before and actually right. had tried to find this guy yeah. with no luck. And okay. she just had it in her drawer. And I happened to mention, I'm like, oh, you know, I saw someone wearing an, uh, an antique watch. It was so beautiful. I've never yeah. been into watches. So she got it cleaned up for me for my birthday. And But then I started just learning and educating myself about these old watches. And in particular, not like the Swiss Rolex and the high end, but like these – these grubby little American companies, right? You know, that, that were, were just from making Ohio them. and Illinois, and there's a you know. fancy watch place from Detroit now, isn't there? Shinola. 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 Yes. Nola. Oh, right. Shinola. Yeah, as in the, what's the that? The, it's the, a yeah, yeah. It's the expression. A, there know. is an expression. And you don't I, know I, shit from Shinola. That's right. it. That's right. it. Right. And uh, cool. No, they make sh- watches and bikes and very high end stuff. That's right. That's right. And but all mechan? Did you go all mechanical? All is mechanical. That, okay. Yeah. So. And then the, I, I, the opposite I, of mechanical would be digital. Is right. that correct? Well, there's, 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 yes, there's mechanical. Right. Uh, there's automatic. Oh. And then there's digital. Okay. Quartz, quartz, digital quartz. quartz, or actually digital is one type of watch run by a quartz mechanism. Okay. But manual is you have to physically wind the watch. Okay. And depending on the quality of the mechanism yeah. of the movement, it's called, yeah. and the number of joules in that movement, you have to wind it every 24 hours or 48 hours. Oh, and, every day. Oh, yeah. To some extent. Yeah, you yeah. have to make sure your watch is wound. Yes. The, the higher quality and more expensive, like mm-hmm. I actually have um, a couple uh, 1950s Rolexes Yeah. that – that's so you amazing. You have to, you can not wind the watch for seven days and it tells time for seven straight days on one winding. Wow. But there's another type of movement called an automatic watch. Okay. Which is still, a, it's a manual mechanism. Mm-hmm. And you, if, if you take the watch and you leave it in your drawer for a month, when you put it on, you have to wind it. Okay. But if you wear it every day, the motion of your wrist actually winds the watch. Okay. So that's a, that was that's an, automatic. That was an improvement. The quartz watch, which came in in the 1970s, yeah, is where it's just you know it's a battery. It's a yeah. It's you a never battery. have to do anything. And is the quartz the battery, or is the battery yeah. the battery, uh, actually, or the quartz something question. else is happening? No. And, and the is, movement is a quartz movement. Okay. You have to power that movement with, with a, a battery. tiny watch battery. With a tiny watch battery. Got yes. it. And what about? You said the jewels are those what the rubies. Actual wait, actual jewels are yeah. inside watches. Yeah, yeah. They're, oh they're, my god! They're tiny little shards. They're yeah. little. They look like little tiny pink gumdrops. They're the, yeah. they're the size of a pinhead, and you know mechanisms. They're called movements. Yeah. Are low end ones have four jewels, eight jewels, eleven jewels. The standard is kind of a fifteen or eighteen jewel. Okay. You can get some very high higher quality with twenty one or twenty four jewels. But the jewels are Are these shards. Yeah, and they're used as part of how do you create a mechanism that has all these gears in it yeah. that can keep telling time at a uniform pace and do it very smoothly. And watches that don't have any jewels which you could buy like in a gumball machine in Atlantic City in 1920. Yeah. They just they work for six months and then you throw them away. They don't have any. So the, for power. some reason the gems, actually the gemstone actually does something. Yeah, they act, and I don't understand it. I'm not right, technical. Right. No, no, you're not the. Te- this I is don't not, open the back and I, right. You know, you're not. Yeah, um, don't mess with it. But but they but, do something. It's it's. I think it's a combination of of they lubricate. They allow for the certain mechanisms and cogs and gears to go together in a way in which the friction of the gears doesn't, doesn't destroy the mechanism. Right. They play some role, which how you came to the conclusion that this little piece of gemstone was going to do that. Would do that. But we know like a diamond, like diamond is harder than any substance. So there's something about. Gemstones that that do the, do that actually that do react. The trick. That I bet you it's science. You think it's science? <laughs> I think it's science. It I might think be you're science. Onto All right, right John. All right. By the way, uh, John Updike. It's at JB Updike O P D 
as in David, Y-C-K-E, is your Twitter handle. And then openprimaries.org is, uh, is the organization yeah. that I did the benefit for. Yeah. So, um, so you have, you have a couple of, you, you have like Rolexes from the fifties? Yeah, I have a couple. Are they super beautiful? I like them. I mean, right, by today's so. standards, yeah. men's watches by today's standards are giant. They like cover your whole arm practically. Right, right. They're... These are small. These would actually be considered women's watches by today's sizing. Oh, really? They're kind yeah. of delicate? Yeah. I'll show you here. Are you wearing one? I'm wearing one right now. Oh, dude. You no, know, they're very dainty. No, that would be the perfect size for me. You are correct. Yeah. That is, um, wow. So that's what, you, what is that? This is a 61 Rolex manual wine watch. Wow. And you know, I, and what, I got it on eBay. You got it on eBay. Yeah. And I love it. And you love it. And did you have to buy a new wristband for it? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, not actually. I will, but this is the one that came with it. It'll last about a year. Okay. If you have a leather band. It's only about a year. Yeah. It's yeah. uh I just started wearing watches probably 10, 15 years ago because yeah. of stand up. Um and you gotta know your time. Yeah, yeah, you gotta know your time, you gotta do your time. And then um matter of fact, I'm gonna put this microphone down. Okay. And um, the first watch. Jackie is retrieving her watch. And I never had a name. watch before. And my friend who collects watches got that for me for Christmas one year. It's like a $75 uh, fossil. And it was 15 years ago. And it was back when giant watches on women were very popular. Right. Because it's a giant, you know, just chrome watch. Yeah. And what I like about it is that you can see the face. And so I know what time it is. Yes, you can and, see the face. <laughs> right, by just glancing at it. I used to do a joke where I'd tap my, I'd, uh, I'd tap my wrist. Uh huh. So that I could check my watch. So I could <laughs> check my time. And this thing is actually the battery died, so I have to go get a new battery. It's a great story. Looks anyway, good. I like that watch. That's alright. And then I just bought a watch, uh, about a year ago that is just a Seiko. Just another $7,500 watch that is all gold and shiny. And I like, and it has another, it has this metal band though. That has links, and then it has to get adjusted for size. Do you have any that have links, or do you mostly yeah, yeah, leather mostly band? leather bands? But I have a couple, a couple metal bands. I have, I have, um, I have some really cool metal bands too, like very unusual ones. Like they're engraved or something? Like no, maybe- no. It's um, what one little subsection of watches that I have are Soviet watches. Mm. They're made in Russia in the 1950s, and what the way I got into this was fascinating. So there's there is a watch company. And I, I'm blanking. I think it's Hampton. Okay. Though, though I, I'm, if, if you look it up, I might be wrong about this, but they were a, a, a watch company in Ohio outside Cincinnati. Okay. They were founded in like 1910 or something like that. In 1924, the Soviet government. Yeah. Bought this watch company. In Ohio. In Ohio. Weird. Packed up all the equipment. Yeah. Put it on barges. Yeah. Offered all their senior technicians and watchmakers and, you know, not, not the guys who just kind of came in and worked, but the people who design watches. Yeah. Offered them full-time jobs in the Soviet Union. And like of the 60 guys, like yeah. eight of them said, okay, I'll sure. do it. I'll go to. And they went to Russia and like lived their lives there making watches. Weird. And they, they, they transformed this American watch company into a Soviet watch company. Because they had no watch industry in okay. the Soviet Union. And I'm like, God, that is so weird. That is super weird. And you know And they might be called Hampton, Hampton watches, yes. but it's an Ohio company. And then they would just renamed it now um, I, I they, they renamed it whatever it, the Saint uh, Peter's. The Russian Bear Hampton. <laughs> exactly, whatever. The Russian <laughs> Bear. But then I so I'm like, wow, that's odd. I didn't you don't think of when you think of watches, you mm-hmm. don't think of the Soviet Union. No, okay. you think of Switzerland. You don't even, you don't you even think, think of, of America, right? Although yeah. America in, in the 1920s, dozens and dozens of great watch companies. Really? Um, and the Depression wiped a lot of them out. A lot of them were consolidated in the bigger firms like Bulova, okay, um, Hamilton. Okay, there's a great watch company I love called called Illinois. Oh, Illinois? Yeah, called, as in. Evanston, Illinois. Exactly. Yeah. And it was, um, a watch company that was founded by one of the guys who bankrolled Abe Lincoln. And they oh. started in like 1868 or something. And what? they made, um, they made, um, pocket watches. Okay. Railroad watches. And okay. then they started making wrist watches after World War One, which is when 
the wristwatches kind of came in. Okay. So um, pocket watches were pre-World yes. War. Everyone just sort of walked around with a watch. I remember ladies had watches on necklaces. Yes. And brooches. And brooches. And, and you're like, I gotta, I, I gotta yeah. lean in and look at my, my yeah. own left breast. And they were tiny. Like you yeah. had to be, you had to have like the eyesight of like a 12 year old <laughs> to be able to read them, you know? Yeah. Cause they were delicate. Cause right. ladies are delicate. Also turns out bad eyesight. Exactly. So it doesn't affect uh, gender. <laughs> uh, weird. So, so it was all pocket and they called them railroad watches. Yeah. The, 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 they would make certain watches for railroad workers to yeah. be able to set the timing of the train. Though I don't, I never, I know these terms. I don't yeah. know what that means. I don't know right. why you couldn't just use a regular pocket watch. Yeah. To me, it's like, huh. Okay. Why would you call it a railroad watch? But right. Maybe it was a, a, a specific style yeah, or something. something. It was super big. It had another right. row of numbers. Exactly. Who knows what the hell was exactly. going on? Yeah. And, um, so then, so then wristwatch, wristwatches come into popularity after World War One. Yeah. They were in existence before World War One, yeah. but they weren't popular. Okay. And they weren't common. And in World War One, they, began to be mass produced because the soldiers in the trenches before they went out to be slaughtered. Yes. They had to know what time it was. And there's right. actually these, these wristwatches that have metal guards over them. Yeah. That to protect from the shrapnel and the bullets oh, and all right. that. Oh, to protect the crystal. Right. That are just gorgeous. They, they but the, the, the it's like War. this metal cage over the watch. Over the watch. Cause you're about to go get shot at. Right. And the, you don't want to lose your watch. Right. We want to we want to be able to harvest that off of your body. (laughs) Harvest it exactly. But a lot of those early wristwatches are just pocket watches stuck with a a strap around them. Okay, you know, so giant, varying size or smaller versions. But like the place where you wind them is on the top. Was on the top, not on the side. Yeah, yeah. You know. And so I wonder who was like, well, I don't want to do that. I want to. I want to. Let's make it smaller and put it on the side, kind of thing. Yeah. So. It's not, yeah, watches are very beautiful. They are, um, and nobody carries them anymore because of cell phones. No, it's true. And nobody wears them, but, um, I kind of enjoy it. I think that they're kind of great. Yeah. So how many different Soviet watches did you have or do you, yeah. I have about, uh, 20. You've, you've played through about 20. Yeah. And they're, I, I, they're varying. Yes. And what's interesting about them. And I, and I, I kind of went on this journey of like, oh, they have Soviet watches. What are they? Who makes them? There's, there's, because it was a, you know, it was communist. It wasn't like there was a market economy. So I think every watch company right. was part of just one watch company called Victory. Okay. It's in, in Cyrillic, it looks like, it looks like Pobeda. Okay. Which is, means victory. Okay. Um, and they made the thing, the thing that I got into is that the culture of Soviet watches, at least pre post World War II. Okay. Was that any time they did anything, like, hey, we just designed a new um, wheat thresher okay. that can do forty-two bales an hour instead yeah. of thirty-eight? Commemorative watch. Oh, commemorative yeah. watch. Commemorative watch. Hey, we just opened up a submarine base on an Arctic island uh, near Japan. Commemorative watch. Commemorative. You know, hey, we just put up now. Those they- make them super collectible. Oh yeah. And then when they did things that were really achievements, like, hey, we just Sputnik. launched Sputnik. Yeah. I mean, that guy, the, the, the astronaut. Yeah. All these commemorative watches with his face on it, pictures of Sputnik, all these things. But right. they didn't stop there. They're like, we but just anything. designed a new bomber right. that has four jets instead of two. Commemorative watch. We, you know? We're repurposing the word pizza. Commemorative watch. Yes. Whatever it is. Yes. It's, uh, that's fascinating. And then pro- possibly every, every year for whatever, you know, Bastille Day was. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So that kind of thing. So do you have some of those? Yeah. Or any? Yeah. Yeah. And Which I, ones? I have a, a, and then they have also kind of like revolutionary heroes too, like your Fidel watch. Oh, okay. Your Che watch. Really? Your, your Lumumba watch. Your Who was Lumumba? Patrice Lumumba in the Congo. Thank he you. Was a, he was a, he was the first. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, once you said the Congo, I was like, yeah. vaguely, vaguely. Yeah. I, I don't have a lot of info, but I, yeah. I got the name. Okay. I'm better. Um, they had a, you know, and it's interesting to think of all the purges and all the, all the kind of the, the politics in the Soviet Union pre-World War II, post-World War II, yeah. Stalin's kind of rampages, people that were heroes one year, and not the next. Vilified, and, yeah. And you think, I, I, I mean, I don't know any of this to be true, but I look at like a watch and you wonder like, 
with this watch, like in 1962, you could wear it, but in 1964, you'd be shot for wearing it or <laughs> like were people <laughs> right, in right. or out or, you know. Right. Don't wear that watch. Right. Or yeah, just because that guy is no longer cool. Right. Interesting. And they're beautiful. The thing is, is there's a certain, if you look at, if you look at art in the Soviet Union, it was in the early, in the, in the teens and twenties, like right after the revolution. Right. It's very connected to kind of, um, surrealism and art deco and, and. It's pointy certain, and boxy, is it not? It is, but there's a certain, it, it's not disconnected from some of the cubism and some of the trends in, in broader art circles that were challenging conventions. It wasn't okay. disconnected, you know, from Kandinsky and things like that. Okay. And then you have, then you have the kind of, as the Soviet Union becomes more, Stalinist and commercial, and, I mean, not commercial and repressive. Yeah. And it kind of, it just becomes all about this, this socialist realism. Okay. But even so, there's a certain artistic beauty of these watches that didn't quite get purged. In okay. a way, it got purged in ballet and theater and. Oh, okay. Cause, I mean, cause it was small enough to sort yeah, of slip through the cracks. Watches, you know. Yeah. What, what, we're going to send somebody to look at the watch company and see what they're doing? No, exactly. Leave them alone. So they have, there's a certain, there's a, both a case. The cases are very unusual, um, outlines. They're not, I don't, they're not circles. They're not squares. They're these weird. Yeah. Yeah. They're weird. Yeah. Um, and some of the color schemes are just, they're absolutely beautiful. Right. Oh my so, God. So like they're them. colorful. Yeah. There's, are, are the, are they, do they come with, with cases too? Cause sometimes I've seen like sort of clap, like, you know, something that'll click on top and it'll be a, and then you push a button and it opens up kind of like a spy, like a, you know, you would think that Soviets would <laughs> have a spy sm- watch. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know why. No, they're, 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 the funny thing about them is that they're very high quality. I mean, oh, really? I have, yeah. They're, they're, and they're working people's watches. They're mass produced. They're produced for the, for the, for the, so they're, person. so they're not to be, they, they, they are pretty resilient. Yeah. I mean, okay. The, the, there was a certain kind of, you know, uh, a certain kind of, um, culture of mass production that there needed to be some, some quality and durability. It's yes. not even quality in the way that the, a Swiss Rolex is, has a certain delicate quality. These right. are like, this watch needs to work. Right. Because that guy needs to be on time right. and there should be no excuse. And he's not going to buy a watch every year, like in America, where right. there's a consumer culture. Yes. In the Soviet Union, it was a much different culture. Yeah. It was yeah. about durability. Okay. And so it just needed to work. Yeah. And so are they, are they pretty, so because of that pragmatism, what, so the, the big company was called Victory, but like Hampton or whatever it was called comes in and another, they bought another one, let's right. say from wherever right. that came in. And now they're all under Victory, but they're all creating in their own sort of art. They're, they're, they're in their own. I think so. Places. Cause, I don't cause know. the watches look different. I don't, yes, there's, and there's so many distinct, different ones. Like distinct, like, Dist- wh- oh, totally. They're, okay. They're, they're different faces, different styles, different um, shapes of the cases. Um, what's common to them is their their wind up watches. Okay. That have a certain kind of proletarian functionality. Right. Okay. There's yeah. not a bunch of fancy ones. Right. There's uh, they all have numbers on them. They right. don't have like dashes right. or. Anything. And there's no like oh we're gonna but within that within yeah. that context of this is a work a day watch mm-hmm. that'll last you for twenty years. Right. The art. Of them, the, my favorite one that I have is has these two little polar bears on it. Oh, weird! Yeah, and this island, and it's this, on the face. On the face, okay. And it's got this absolutely gorgeous, like aqua blue background, and yeah. these little Arctic islands, and then there's like these little Cyrillic words, which I've never translated, but it uh, to me it's like we do the, do, we do, we planted our flag on this little island next to Greenland. Yeah, you know something like that. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's what it was for. Bears. Yeah, and so. Do, do the faces move? Like, is there, no. you know how like sometimes the, the watch, the face will rotates. move and, and it rotates and then makes a moon no. and a thing. No. Okay. That's what I'm saying. There's none of that. Those are called, um, um, God, I'm Bullshit blanking. watches. Yeah. No, yeah, they're, no. but they, they're, they're called, um, function, no, functions, intricacies, uh, 
something where okay. you can buy these switch Swiss watches that are like this will tell the moon phase and this one will yes will have a power tides. reserve and it will yeah. t- you know, tell the tides <laughs> and all these fan- no these Soviet watches are like here's what time it is comrade. <laughs> And we're going to, you know, commemorate one of our great achievements. Right, right. Oh, that's awesome. And so you've got like 20 of them. And um, so that – so so that one – I mean, describe them. I mean, I just want to see what the – hear what the other ones look like. I mean, are there – are they – is it pretty because of the colors? Is it pretty it, because of the designs I, on them? I think it's – for me, and this is just yeah. me. Other people would have different yeah. reasons. But I, I, I find it – it's almost like looking into a lost world of like, like here was a culture, a country that, you know, it, it made a revolution in 1917. There was a huge tumult. At one point, like 14 countries invaded the Soviet Union. Like everybody invaded them. Right. They're like, this can't to, possibly. To take this over. Yeah. They fought that back. They, in some ways, very quickly became a corruption. Yeah. Um, Stalin was responsible for both bringing the country into, you know, modernization. Right. And was also killed 20 million people. Right, right. They also were the ones who beat the Nazis. Like there's yeah. all these things that are so contradictory and repressive and yet interesting. And here amidst this, these gorgeous, colorful watches. Yeah. Emerge. That you're like, okay, so someone wore this in 1919 as they marched down the street. Well, you these know? are later. These are the ones I have are all post World War II. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, um, but you, f- you feel their DNA. You feel some connection. Yeah. To a certain, um, it, to the actually, history that, of it. it's helpful to hear, to ask that. You feel a connection to the promise of the Soviet Union mm-hmm. and a connection to the, repression of Stalinism. Right. And, and the, the failures of, of it. The failures of it. Yeah. It's so that, it's, it's both things in a watch. Right. If, if anything sums up, I mean, and this is sweeping and, and I'm sure the Russians are like a little too sweeping, but, yeah. but if there's anything that really sums up Russia, it is the fact that there's so much promise and there's so much possibility and yet there's so much failure and so much like for some reason just rage and it's it's like this there is so much repression like throughout their entire history where you're like what is happening you've got options here and you've got some of the most the sturdiest strongest people are living in these crazy situations and have been for thousands of years and yet for some reason you can't be nice to each other what's happening and uh, it's weird but um but that's fascinating i i get that same feeling sometimes when i look at a book and i and i see the publication date like uh uh-huh. and i'll see like oh 1941 uh-huh this was actually published in 41 right in london yeah the okay did someone read this in 41 while they right. were in a in an in air raid an air raid shelter yes. or yeah and so I sense I I get what you're saying about that. That's that's amazing. Yeah. So which what um, so what else what else do you collect besides the Russian ones? Are there is there themes or is it just yeah no the Russian ones and then and then I like American watches from the 20s, 30s, 40s. Okay. You know and beyond. Um, <laughs> full of uh Hamilton, Hamilton, Illinois. Um, is is Gruen, Hamilton named after Ben Russ? There's a great watch company called Ben Russ. R U S S E. Uh, no, B-E-N-R-U-S. Oh, Ben Russ. The owners was like, it was like Ben and Russ. You know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, but I had the good fortune of when I started doing this, um, I didn't have any money. You know, yeah. I'm a, I'm a political activist. I, right. It's not like I'm like my, you, using my trust fund. I was able to buy a thousand watches. So I would like, <laughs> you know, I'd have to go on eBay and like, just like, can I get Hope this watch for like 30 bucks? And then, and I found a guy, I, I, you know, I live and work in Manhattan, um, who, I found a watch repair place right across from my office. Okay. And it was run by a guy named Mr. Maddox. Okay. Who was 90. Okay. He opened this office in 1944. Wow. So I'd go to, and his eyes, you know, he wore sharp as a tack. And yeah. this guy was like, he was, it was like going back in time. Talking to that to guy, a guy. Or going to his place. And, and I go to his place and I would, he would, regale me with hilarious stories of old New York of 1940s and 50s New York and just scams that he was involved in and 
you know, relationships he's had and, you know, he's never been married. He's like a bachelor. You right, know? right. A lifelong bachelor. Yeah. Lifelong bachelor huh. with, with, who had just at 90, I'm not kidding, just broken up with his girlfriend because, <laughs> because she wanted, uh, you know, different things. Do you want things, to get married? You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and she was a younger woman. She was in her mid seventies, you know? And, sure. Um, what could she have wanted? I'm always wondering what people want. I don't know. Out of any relationship, I don't quite know. honestly. But um I'm always just like, is it working? Is it are we <laughs> are we living? Yes, we are. So but that's fascinating. So what kind of I mean, what's the big streets that that his watch shop is it is he is still that, there or is he I don't you know, I, I, I moved my office a couple of years ago and I stopped expanding my collection. Right, right. And so I haven't been there in about eighteen months. Okay. Um, I can't but where was where, where, it was on Beekman and 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 uh center Beekman and Park Row in Lower Manhattan. A little okay. fifth story one Probably a 200 square foot office, like in an office building. You just go there, you knock on the door, you open it up, and so he's not just, a not a street not, level. No, no, not street level. Like so you have to go upstairs. Yeah, you go upstairs. You have to know it's there. Oh yeah, I have to know it's there. Yeah, he's been there since World War II. Right, repairing watches, and he taught me this thing. He said, nine times out of ten, when you go to a jewelry store, mm-hmm. and you're like, can you repair this watch? They'll be like, oh, of course, we have these great technicians, and look behind. Then they put it in a sack. And they send it over to him. Right. Right. And he just fixes these things and his, he's got this wife beater t-shirt on. He's kind of this like wiry, wiry, like old dude, old school guy. Yeah. And he's just, he's like, it's all for show, including they'll sometimes have at some of these fine jewelry stores. They'll even have a guy in the back. Who Ooh. looks like a Swiss gentleman. Like Pretending? with a little eye thing. Or he'll do like, Five percent of the repairs on certain yeah. watches, and ninety-five percent of them, they just put in a bag, send them over to him. Yeah. He charges ten bucks. He sends them back, and they charge you a hundred bucks. That kind of thing. Oh my god! Yeah. Why isn't he charging thirty? Anyway, the markup is crazy. Yeah. Uh, I will say this: I had to get my Seiko needed a new. Um, yeah. A new battery when I was just in Minneapolis, uh-huh. and I had a fascinating experience of trying to get a battery for a watch, and a, and. So I go to a place called Fixology. It was a sort of a kiosky kind okay. of thing in a mall. Okay. And they're like, they, we fix watches. And, uh, <laughs> so I bet you they're sending them off to Bill on Beaker. Right. Or whatever. <laughs> right. And, uh, so, right. um, but I was like, oh, I just need a, I just need a new battery. And they're like, oh, it'll be $20. Yeah. And I was like, $20? The, the, the watch costs $75. Yeah. And then I was like, I'm good. And there's like, well, we clean it and we oil it. And I was like, do you? And then uh, I took it to Macy's and I thought, well, that'll be fine. It'll be because the last time I got a watch, it was $5 at a pawn shop. Right. And a new battery. And Macy's was like, oh, it's $60. Yeah. And, um, finally I was in Minneapolis and I went to a jewelry store and it was 10 bucks. Right. And I thought, this seems fair. Right. I'm just going to pop it open, put in a new battery right. and close it. Cause they've, they've bought the tool set right. is what I'm saying. I don't own the tool set, which right. has the to gripper. Crack it open, the yeah. gripper. Right. Yeah. That right. weird right. wiry gripper thing. Right. <laughs> so, right. um, but yours are all manual. Yeah. So they don't even need no a battery. batteries. You just have they to They don't remember. tell great time. That's just, the other thing. Oh, with it's these just watches. okay. Yeah, if, if it tells within two to five minutes a day, you're happy. Okay, you know. Well, that's not bad, actually. Yeah. You're like, I don't, I don't demand to know exactly what time it is. Yes, I just need to know the general scope of. Right? Where is I it am. about ten to two? Yes, I yes. would like that. Exactly, that'd be perfect. If I need to know exactly what time it is, you just go to your phone. Right, the phone is available yeah. at, at all times. Now. Yeah, and um, and then other people have, have clocks up on the wall. Right. So yeah, it's um, and everyone's five minutes late anyway. So, or I'm always 20 minutes early. Are you? Uh, I am. And everyone's 15 minutes late. It's, so it's I the Midwesterner in you. Yeah. So 35 minutes of me being alone. Luckily, I have an emergency book at all times. So I can do a little rereading. Cool. If, if necessary. So, but so you've got, so the, so did you get, and this is a, this is a question a lot of people wouldn't ask. I don't have that kind of problem. Uh, so did you get a deal on these Rolexes? Because these, like a solid gold Rolex or even a Rolex. Because the big thing about Rolexes, right, is that they don't go tick, tick, tick. They go hum, right? Is that true? Isn't that you the... You know, I've heard that. I've never actually looked at it. Yeah, look at your second... I guess you're right. Yes. It's just humming along? I mean, the thing, the thing is, is that they're really well made. Yeah. And this one is 60 years old and, and actually tells perfect time. And I only have to wind it once every four or five days. What? 
and it's it's just really attractive. It sits well. Like you really. And is, I, I only have two of these, and I got them for like nine hundred dollars each. That's okay. the thing. It's like there's certain Rolexes that are used Rolexes that are high in demand. Yes. You know, submariners and certain types. They and a us, new one is like fifteen grand or something, yeah, right? Uh, fifteen to two hundred fifty thousand. Oh, it depends geez. on the metal. If it's platinum, if it's got jewels, you know. Right, right. It's a whole thing. It's right. Like it's a, a whole. It's a whole. Uh, it's social. a Lamborghini, yes. you know, Ferrari <laughs> world. Right. This is like. This is a style that was not particularly popular. It's not in demand. Collectors right. don't. I don't collect ones that are collectible. That's okay. the thing. My watch collection is all watches that are not collectible. Okay. But so I just like them. You like watches and yeah. you like the idea of, of that slice of history, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. is, you said that's a 61? Yeah. So 61, that's when they put the wall. That's the Berlin Wall, right? Well, you're, you're, you're making connections that don't exist, right. but or, this well, one, I just, I, I mean, I, that's I, not what you think of, but no, that's what, exactly. I, like if I collected yeah. watches and I got a 1961 watch, I'd be like, Oh, what else happened in 61? Right. Who's walking around with this thing? Right. You know, what fancy Don Draper dude right. is walking around wearing that? Right. Um, as he, you know, has to, I just read a bunch of spy novels that were written in the forties through the sixties. Like Graham Greene? Uh, Helen McGuinness. Okay. And she was British and she wrote, she lived in London during the, the, the air raids and she wrote these weird spy novels mm. that are reg- essentially they're like North by Northwest, right? Where mm-hmm. regular people get sucked into a world of espionage. Right. And, um, and there's usually sort of a, she also wrote three romance novels that are some of the sad sackiest romance really? novels I've ever. I'm like, okay, I get it. Uh, post war or middle of the war, not the most cheerful time. Not good time. pickings. Right. So everybody's super, and they're usually set in like 38. Like okay. a, a couple, like the first, the one romance novel of hers I tried to read, it was set in 1938 in London. And there'd be these German characters who'd come in, but it was published in like 44. Okay. Or 43. So it's super anti-German. Right. And, and you're like, oh, okay. So love in a time of cholera is what you're telling me this right. is. And, and yet not as cheerful as that. And, uh, <laughs> so I stopped reading her okay. after I tried the first. Here's, here's the, um, here's a couple of them right here, actually. Helen McGinnis. Helen McGinnis. And, um, like the Venetian affair is set in, is written in the, um, I think these three are from the sixties. This above suspicion one was, I think. Wow, eight months on the New York Times bestseller list. So these are there's yeah, a little something going on here. That was a movie. So it was published in '61. It was made into a movie okay. with with um, I think Ed Asner is the only name I can remember offhand who was in that movie. Got it. And um, it's essentially uh, the story of two Berlins, right? Kind of thing, okay. and, and Venice, and got it. And um, it's amazing. And there's a lot of dust in my house. So, but, but that's what, that's where I would go. If yeah. I, cause, cause you make me now want to collect watches. Well, I have one watch. I, again, most of mine is, is Soviet and, and early American, but right. I have a Swiss watch by a company called Doxa. D-O-X-A. Okay. This company sold watches to the Wehrmacht and to the British Army during World War II. Both of them? Yes. Swiss wow. were neutral. And, and, and part of me is like, and, this and is, when they say neutral, they mean they're making money off everybody. Jackasses. Exactly. Yes. They're okay. profiteering off everybody. Mm-hmm. But, um, I wow. just find that like, wow. It, there's just something it's, fascinating about that. I find it gutsy stuff. Gutsy stuff, Swiss. Uh-huh. Good for you. Good yeah. for you for, for selling the, the, the panning and, and the, uh, you know, the, the gold rush guys. The guys who made all the money were the people who sold the pans and the pickaxes. Right. I right. Didn't, I, I yeah. guess that's, that's how you make your fortune. That's, uh, that's California lore. Right. And, uh, California lore will tell you that, uh, all the, all the big money guys were. Right. Were and the, Levi Strauss. And you know, Levi made their jeans. Yeah, the guys made who made their, their jeans, exactly. pickaxes, and pans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't the gold. The right. gold didn't didn't make anybody. It made some people rich, but they right. probably just blew it like it was a lottery. Right. So that is crazy. So you've been doing this. How long have you been collecting them? I don't know, fifteen years. Fifteen years. Yeah. Okay. So, and then. Have you always, now I want to talk briefly about, cause I'm talking to you guys, uh, Rangers, John Updike, O-P-D-Y-C-K-E, and it's at J-B as a boy, Updike, O-P-D-Y-C-K-E, and openprimaries.org is the benefit I did, and I wanted to have you on the show because. Sure. 
it, we're in, we're in troubled times. Yeah. And so there's no reason not to have open primaries. Um, because we need to somehow, something's broken. And so what, uh, tell people what open primaries is for the, for the heck of it. It's an organization working to enact and protect and, and advocate for primary elections that allow everybody to vote for who they want. And so it's not just – you're not just voting Republican primaries or Democratic right, Republi- uh, right. primaries. But having a primary in which all the candidates appear on the ballot and then all the, all the voters get to vote and choose from whoever they want. Right. And the top two vote So getters. Gary and Jill and Bernie and and Hillary and – Imagine if we had a presidential primary where all the candidates were available for all the voters. And then the top two would just run against each other right. or – yeah. And I think the, the reason I think, and I, I spend a lot of time and energy and there's a growing movement for this. Okay. Is that one of the things you, you mentioned were in troubled times. And yeah. certainly there is no, uh, there's no one problem with American politics or some like, if we no. fix that, this would, no. But one of the features of American politics right now is the ways in which the American people were in a pickle. We're divided. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, but the divisions are not, I, I always get upset when they say, oh, these are kind of natural divisions. No, they're, they're, the, the American people have a lot of different opinions about things, but were manipulated by these very sophisticated political organizations called the parties. Yeah. To see our differences as somehow tribal, that we Regional. have to, that we have to yeah. reject people that have different opinions. That yeah. we have to find ways to demonize other people. Yeah. And we're in a constant campaign. I mean, one of the things I can't stand right now is the campaign hasn't ended. You'd think that when you have uh, an election, right. that you could just then say, okay, we're done with the election. We we're did done this. with the election. Now we have to run the country. Now we have for, to run the country. At least no, for three years. It's just a permanent campaign. And I yeah. think that both the Democratic Party and the Republican Party in different ways with their different constituencies. Sure. They keep people ginned up. And yeah. they keep people in a frenzy and they keep them very um, – We're all supposed to be terrified at, at each all o- Terrified yes. and at each other's throats. And I think what, what open primaries, what we're, what we're pushing for is would it be possible for the American people to come together around new candidacies and issues in ways that were not completely controlled by the gatekeepers, by the existing yeah. establishment? Now – I don't, I'm not saying if, if liberals and conservatives found ways to come together that utopia would break out. No, I'm no. not saying that at all. Right. But it creates Which, some new possibilities. It, right. I mean, it is one of the myriad of things that are broken around us. And, yes. and the thing is, is this is the thing you're working towards. Right. Whenever I think about, um, you know, people are like, well, the real problem is I think there was a sketch on Colbert the other night. It was these three women going to the Women's March in D.C. And uh what, there was a straight white woman who was like, well, we're going for, you know, reproductive rights and the rights of women. And then there was a gay woman who was like, we're going for LBG, you know, the the gay rights and, and make sure that we get to marry. And then there was a black woman who was like, yeah, whatever. Uh We would like our uh, black people would like to uh, not be treated like uh vermin. And uh, – <laughs> I paraphrase. Yeah. Anyway, so all three of them had very distinct things. And there was a, they were making fun of the fact that those three women who were on the same side were also super specific about what they wanted to move forward on. And whether your issue is, you know, a Muslim registry, which is my issue, or immigration, or it's, um, or open primaries, or the fact that the, the, the technical part of the, the government seems to be broken. I mean, the mechanics seems, seems to be manipulated so tightly wound that nobody can get in between the cracks to fix it. And so I think we all have to just, it doesn't matter what you're trying to fix. Just don't shit on somebody else and what they're trying to fix. You know, it's fine that my, my concentration is, is whatever it is. And your concentration is something else. They're both broken. And it doesn't mean I can't support where what you're trying to do here. It seems important. Well, yes, and I think that's very well put. And I think I think the the question of how we do politics in America and in some ways the world, but yeah. particularly in America, how we do politics is now an important question. 
And I've been doing this for 25 years. Yeah. And for years and years and years, people looked at me and my colleagues like we're crazy because we're working on issues of political process. Right. People are like, what do you mean? The process <laughs> is the process. What's important is the issues. But actually what's starting to happen is that Americans from uh, a, a lot of different backgrounds are saying, huh, it turns out the process is rigged. The yeah. process is unfair. The process is exclusionary. It's hasn't grown. Yeah. I mean, the way we do politics is the same way that Dwight Eisenhower did politics. Right. And there were a hundred million less people in the, in the country. Right. And we've, we have new technologies. We have new, so many things have changed culturally. Mm-hmm. And yet the, the democracy is not kept pace. Yeah. And so I think, um, I think Donald Trump opportunized off that in some very, in some very smart ways. Right. And the supervillains that surrounded him, you know, played him and, and pointed him in the direction they wanted him to point. Cause yeah. Yeah. There's, there's plenty of opportunity to cheat. Yeah. There's so much opportunity, more, much more now to cheat than there was when it was all manual, when everyone had to roll up their own watch, you know, it's so. Yeah, though I, I, I frankly think that the ways in which the system is rigged and corrupted is not, is not in those, in those cheating ways. It's much more systemic and profound. And sometimes, like in New York, we had a okay. primary between Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. and Bernie Sanders. Okay. 3.5 million people in New York who pay taxes mm-hmm. to, to, um, pay for that primary, which yep. costs $25 million. We're systematically told they have, they have no right to participate in that primary because they're independent voters. And if you say, Oh, okay, I'll join the Democratic Party. They say, too bad. You had to have done it six months ago. You can't do this. And that's a kind of like, I mean, there's three times as many independents as Republicans in New York City. This is right. not some little group of Mennonites or something. Right, right. This is a, the, the largest group of voters in this country are no party independent voters. And yet they're told in state after state that they we, can't take part can't in the initial in the initial choice. Right. And the initial the initial election is forget even president. Yeah. Down the ballot, it's the only election in a lot of places. Yeah. You know, and so to me, that is a kind of corruption that is it doesn't even look like corruption. It right. just looks at this it is how like we do bureaucracy things. Bureaucracy is what it looks like. It looks like bureaucracy, but it's actually wow. That is deep. That is manipulative, and right. and and someone's got an agenda. Right. And the agenda is what is to keep the power where it is. Yeah, I mean, these are look. I one of the reasons I'm a huge fan of podcasts, and I, I've listened to your podcast for years, and I listen to dozens Dork of them. Forest, uh, get is, in. Think of the direct relationship you have with your listeners. Yeah. And I mean, I've heard you talk and others talk very intimately about. This is not just another technical way to get out your thing. It's, it's a, it's a unmediated way to create a relationship. And when you go to do stand up in Cincinnati, right? You, those fans are there and yep. you know them already and they know you. Right. Part of what we have in politics is you still have these old guard gatekeepers, these parties that are, that are the same now that now they might have changed how they look and new technologies, but they control how things get organized. Yeah. They're like the, they're like the ABC, NBC and, and CBS of 1964. Right, right. Right. There is no, and so in so many arenas, technology, culture, um, media, there's been a, a dismantling of the gatekeepers. There's been a democratization of. Oh, oh, oh in, in the entertainment industry, yeah, in, in the book industry, in the, in, in so many areas of yeah. life. Okay. Um, in politics, it's still, completely controlled by by these tiny organizations and to your point of why do they want these they want to stay in power yeah and they fear they fear more than anything they fear the american people finding ways to come together that break through the left right i call it a myth yeah i, I think that we're all taught that liberals and conservatives that it's somehow it's almost genetic like it's a it's a different, we have these differences and that makes each other our enemies. And yeah. I think it's a complete overstatement of how things are actually organized. Interesting. I mean, there was a poll that was done very recently that asked people a fascinating question. It said, do you think the divisions in the country 
are best understood as between liberals and conservatives or between the Washington elite and the American people. Yeah. And 76% of people said, oh, yeah, it's between the Washington elite and the American people. It's not between liberal Americans and conservatives Americans. No. It's between it's, insiders and outsiders. It's interesting because I have, you know, my Facebook, my personal Facebook page is almost entirely political at this time. And I get people come up to me after shows because my personal Facebook page is relatively public. Like if you want to follow my personal Facebook page, you can. Got it. If you get rude to me, I block you. It's not but, just your junior high school friends. No. And those, those people are banana heads sometimes. <laughs> it's, uh, cause I didn't have any friends. In junior I see. <laughs> so, but the, uh, but the, the, the interesting thing about how political I am online yeah. is that when you talk to me in real life, I want to talk to you about life. You know, right. I'm not this, the stuff I put up on the Facebook stuff is more a reminder for me to read it, to be informed and to be angry about different things, right. you know, and it's not because I need to be reminded to be angry because I'm a middle aged white lady and mm-hmm. I'm living in a gravy boat. So right. it's pretty sweet over here. <laughs> and uh but the and it's but people will meet me in real life and they're like, well, you don't talk about politics all the time in real life. And I was like, no, no, I, I think about politics a fair amount because I'm alive. Right. But I don't, but out in public, I would like to, what are you going to order? Oh, right. you get in the club? That looks nice. And, um, that's Republicans and, and, and Democrats or liberals and conservatives or progressives and, and racists or what, I mean, whatever you want to call it, right? I mean, in real life, we're all just talking about club sandwiches and we have more in common with each other than we do with the people that are the Washington elite. I think, yes. or whatever that and, is defined as. And I think that the way politics is organized right now, the culture of it, as organized by the Democratic and Republican parties, is that there is a huge push to categorize people in in very constrictive um, boxes and silos that are based on labeling people. And I think that that activity of labeling people at yeah. a time in, in, in American and world history in which there is so much emergence, so much transformation, some good, some bad. There is so much fluidity. Yeah. This, this, the, the whole the political culture is you are this. Yeah. And that's all you are. Right. It's all you are. And I find I'm, I'm a leftist. I'm a progressive. Yeah. I'm unashamed of that. I'm very proud of that. And mm-hmm. I cringe, cringe. When I see my fellow progressives, fellow liberals and, and people on the left engage in the most backward labeling of people as if people are just one thing and that, you know, calling, calling someone who voted for Trump, you're a racist. Right. As if a, that, that actually Does is that- harmful to the process of moving the country forward. And it's just not true. People are all over the place. They're all over the place. And it's, it's not, it's not one thing that made things happen. And right. it's not one thing that can fix it. Right. So what are you, what are you, what, what is openprimaries.org doing? You're, you're working, I know, state to state, right? Because we're working all over the country, state to state, ballot referendums, legal fights, legislative fights, public education efforts, um, coalition building. There's a lot right. of, and there's been a, a an upswell oh, in huge in, upswing in in people being interested yes. in this, right? Yes, in, huge. In what the last five or six years, or uh, well, it's been there's been yes, last five or six years in you know in California in 2010, we passed a sweeping open primaries measure. Okay, and it transformed California politics, which used to be the least competitive in the country. It's now the most competitive at the, okay. at the state level. Right, um, has made a very big difference. There's some very interesting um, races now, um, like the, the 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 California race for U.S. Senate. The two finalists, yeah, were not a Democrat and a Republican. It's two Democrats. Oh, uh, two women of color. Was it Kamala? Yeah. Yeah. So she ran against Sanchez. And right. And they were both great. They were both great. I liked were, both of them. Right. And I and ended up voting for Kamala, I think, but um, there you go. But part of what, what you, and now some people nobody say, needs to know. Oh, that. you don't have a Republican in the general election. That means it's two Democrats. No, it means that the voters of California were able to all participate in the primary and vote for the two candidates that they thought were the best. 
Right. And they happen to be two Democrats. For that job. Right. And then you had two Democrats running against each other in a lot of states where they don't have that. The Democrat just says, vote for me because I'm the Democrat. Yeah. I'm not the Republican. And they don't have to talk about what they stand for, what they're going to do, and they don't have to talk to Republicans and independents. And likewise – you know, one of one of our strongest advocates is a, a very conservative Republican in, in South Dakota. And South Dakota is controlled by the Republican Party. Yeah. And he said, I'm for open primaries because his name is Joe Kirby. He's a, he's a very successful business guy. Okay. He said, my party is does much better when they have to go out and talk to people that are not in the party. Right. When when Republicans have to go talk to Democrats and independents, they actually do – they're able to live up to their conservative ideals. He said a lot of these Republicans in South Dakota, they just – they're They say I'm a Republican. They yeah. say I'm a conservative Republican and then they go do all these stupid deals and right. behind closed doors that don't that reflect aren't that. Reflect the things that they claim to believe in. Exactly. exactly. Interesting. How many states have open primaries? Okay, so we it, we have we have fifty states. We have this 50 is, states. I know that. Okay, no, we have we have what's called top two primaries, which is the complete nonpartisan primaries. There's not a Democratic primary and a Republican primary. There's okay. just a primary. Okay, we have that in California, Washington, and Nebraska. Washington State. Washington State. And the state of Nebraska. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Then there are what are called open primaries, which is there is a Democratic primary and a Republican primary, and independents can choose one of those. Ah, okay. And those are in about 20 states, including okay. Colorado, where we just passed a referendum last year to enact that. Okay. And so then about another 25 states have closed primaries where only Democrats can vote in Democratic primaries, only Republicans can vote in Republican primaries, and the independents can't vote. At all in the primaries. Exactly. That's insane. Exactly. I think that was... That was the rule when I, I signed up. There, California didn't have open primaries when right. I moved here. And so I had to pick a lane yeah. if I wanted to vote in the primaries. Right. And so I did. And ever since then I've had, I've, and I've, I've reconciled that right. I am a, I'm essentially a, a tax and pay uh, Democrat. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing, you know, but it's, so less than half of the country. Yeah. But, these strides that you've made, has that been mostly in the last 10 years? I mean, 2010 in California was a big game changer, though it didn't get a huge amount of media. Yeah. But the 2016 presidential primary, yeah, the fact that so many people were shut out of voting in it, yeah, the fact that it was so controversial. I mean, you had Trump kind of destroying the Republican establishment. You had Bernie really challenging the, the Democratic, the Democratic yeah. establishment. But – you know, it's interesting to look at Bernie. Bernie was able to win many states that had open primaries, and then he got crushed in states that had closed primaries. Right. And – but was didn't he – he he joined the Democratic yeah. Party so that he could probably get into those primaries to some extent, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. He had, yeah. To, he had to become a Democrat. And then he's gone back, right? He's independent no, he's not – well, I mean – he, I think he has stayed a Democrat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just curious. Yeah. It's, uh, at this point, it's, it's so up in the air. Like we don't know what's going to happen from day to day. We're living in the apprentice. So, That's you know, true. what, what, uh, you know, who will, who will, who will get the rose? And, uh, and, um, so where do, where do you go from here? I think you just mis- mixed your bachelor and oh, your completely. apprentice I don't metaphors watch any, as well. I don't watch any which, uh, reality television. No, I don't. I don't either, except in little five-minute bursts where oh. I'm like, I'm like I'll fascinated by it. I'll right. see a clip. Right. I mean, it's so fluid. There's so much opportunity and danger in American politics right now. I mean, there's certainly. I think the fact that the 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 gatekeeper institutions, the Democrats and Republicans. And when I, when I say that the parties are more than just the little committees, it's the right. whole apparatus and their media that's connected to them, the way Fox is connected to the Republicans and, the, and right. you know, there's a whole apparatus of politics that, um, failed in yeah. 2016. I mean, Donald Trump, it did not work. Say what you want about Donald Trump, and I'm not a fan of him, but he, Take a stand. The shit out of the uh, Republican establishment. Yeah. He beat Jeb Bush and, and all these guys yeah. that, you know, Rubio he, and all those he dudes wiped crews. them out. Yep. Um, Bernie came very close to challenging Hillary and, and kind of knocking down the 
Democratic establishment, but mm-hmm. he couldn't quite make it happen. Right. That's, but, I think that's a good thing, but it's also incredibly dangerous because. Well, yeah, it's, it's Trump's anarchic. got his fingers on the button. Yeah. You know. It's, it's, it's an anarchic time and it's, it feels like, how is that going to help? You know, just to the, I don't know why the status quo, the status quo is, is going to always serve me better just because of who I am demographically. Right. But I also know that this, the status quo, quo is not effective. You know, I mean, it's not, it's not going forward to create, first of all, a, another hundred years of this. You know, it's not going to, it's, it's not going to be a sweet spot for my demographic, my middle-aged white ladiness in 50 years. Nobody's going to give a damn. And it's, um, it's going to break on every level. So if we don't change with the times, it'll, it'll all fall apart. And I mean, I don't, I don't know. So where, what, so what you're just going forward, right? You're just, you're just organizing as you have. Is there any change in I mean, there's strategy huge change. Or? There's all kinds of new players coming into the arena. Yeah. Um, with different agendas and different, different, um, motivations. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a broad recognition that American politics is pick your adjective, flawed, rigged, yeah. broken. Um, you know, it, it, that it's simply not in the, in the most basic populist terms. The system is not designed to give the American people maximal power and maximal flexibility. Mm-hmm. It's designed to corral us and manipulate us to get to, to have us vote every four years yeah. in ways that rubber stamp choices that were decided by someone else in a back room over here. Right, right. Now, that's a huge oversimplification. I mean, sure. I, I don't mean to paint that, but more and more people are saying – Hey, if we don't have a democratic process that allows us to express ourselves in positive and meaningful ways, we're going to have really trouble moving forward as a country and a society and a society. Yeah, the it was it's a representative republic and it needs to be representative and it needs everyone gets to have to have have to figure out how to give everyone a say at least. And I know that that's not the point and purpose of the people in charge is they want to create the illusion of choice and then make the decisions. Yes. And I think I'm something, this is not so much what open primaries talks about. So don't think of this as our marketing language, but I I think that, that one of the, the interesting conversations in American politics right now is about whether we can remake American democracy, not simply as a better consumer market, mm-hmm. but to actually challenge consumerism that a lot of people think the, uh, I happen to believe that democracy at it, you know, is not simply about having better and more choices, mm-hmm. but, but the people being involved in creating the choices, Yeah, right? That it's not just having more choices of toothpaste that makes yeah. you a better consumer. It's, can we work together to create new options, well, things it- that weren't possible? Yeah. Before. And it feels more like living a life and living as a community than, right. than just, Hey, I'm going to go to Target. Right. So exactly. Interesting. But the, the dominant culture right now is, Hey, you watch your NFL football. You raise your kids. You worry about this and that. Let us per- political professionals worry about politics. Every four years, you'll have a choice. Right. You know, it'll be Bob Dole or Bill Clinton. Yep. You tell us which one you prefer and we'll go with that. And that's yeah. all, that's all you need to do. That's all you need to do. And you know what? That deal, you could even argue that that deal worked. Yeah. You could say that deal worked. I don't think it, I think that the, the opportunity to renegotiate that contract between the American people and the political establishment is on the table. And I think that the contract could get renegotiated in some very positive ways yeah, or some very negative ways. And yeah. that's what I find both exhilarating and terrifying. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's – uh, well, it has been an hour, my friend. And uh, This is great. Yeah. This was fascinating. The watch thing, fascinating. The politics thing. Even more so, quite honestly. Even Anytime though, you want me to come back, I'd be and happy. And we can talk about uh, your love of bad movies. Yes. And uh, Let me just leave people with a teaser. Yeah. Watch Lethal Weapon 4. 4. Okay. A fantastic <laughs> bad movie. 
You or my brother Russell. Uh, <laughs> Rangers, uh, I've been talking with John Updike and it is O-P, D as in David, Y, C-K-E, and it's J-B as in boy, Updike, um, on Twitter. It'll be linked and openprimaries.org is, uh, the, 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 the project. Can so, I give one quick plug? Yes. We're, we're running a petition right now to urge the incoming chair people mm-hmm. of the DNC and the RNC. Mm-hmm. They're selecting new leadership to adopt an, a 50 state open presidential primary in 2020. Both party leadership, they could do that with a yeah. sign of a pen to let every American vote in the presidential primary in 2020. If so, the if the parties decide it, yep. it can just happen. Yep, the parties, they don't even have to go through the state. Nope, they don't have to change state law. They can dictate to the states now, what they want. Right, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's right. But they have that power right now. So it could it it it's a band aid. Exactly. Yeah. And just letting everybody vote in the presidential primaries. It's not a complete fix, fix, but it would be a positive step, and they could do that. And we're putting pressure on both parties to and that do petitions that. at openprimaries.org. The petition is at openprimaries.org. John, thank you so much for for coming out. Thanks, Jackie. You're welcome. Uh, Rangers, you know the rules out there. Take care of each other. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat. <laughs> my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! <laughs> <laughs>